Welcome to the Harvest Seymour Podcast. Come check us out and see how God is moving in this community. If you would like to know more, check out our Facebook page, or you can visit us at hcfseymour.org. Have a wonderful day. Well, good morning, everybody. Here we go. We're starting a new series today called Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come, amen? So in this series, I want to talk about Jesus and the proclamation of his kingdom, the coming of his kingdom, because sometimes we hear and say a lot of verbiage, but not really appropriate and and download what it is exactly that we are saying. Jesus' very first sermon was really pretty simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, and, and Matthew says, that he went about from town to town saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was like a one-liner that really summed up what he was going from community to community, preaching, repent, change the way that you think, do a 180, because... My kingdom is at hand. See, the Jewish people, they were looking for a king. They were looking for a king like David that would come and destroy and slap around all their enemies and reestablish Israel's rule in the land. And they would get their land back and they would get their life back and all these uh, Gentile, uh, no good, rotten sinners would get off their land. That was kind of their their mindset, but that wasn't the kind of kingdom that Jesus was speaking about. He wasn't that the kind of king that they were looking for. What they wanted was a king that would rule over the Romans, but what they received is a king that ruled over death, hell, and the grave, and all eternity. I think that's a much better deal. How about you? And whenever the king would show up, the reign and the rule of heaven would come with him, meaning that the reality of the kingdom of heaven would invade the earth. You see, whenever his reign shows up, his rule comes with it, and standard rules go out the door, meaning this. And so, for the most part, our experience is that If we were to be honest, sickness, sin, and death, and disease rule the day. But when his kingdom comes, those rules are set aside, and the reign of his life is established. Are you tracking with me so far? So Jesus, his kingdom, when it came with him, when his kingdom was at hand, a whole new set of rules came into play. So whenever the reign of his kingdom came, joy come, depression leaves. Amen? Now here's the thing. Here's the next thing. When his disciples walked with Jesus, they noticed that when he prayed, stuff happened. And then when they prayed, nothing happened. Can anybody relate to that? And I said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We, we, don't, we don't 
because we know stuff happens when you pray, nothing happens when we pray. Help us process all of this. And he says, okay then. And we pick this up real quick. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. And he says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven. Now see, that was already radical. That no longer was it this holy God that was distant and far removed. No, he says it's our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whenever Jesus walked into the room, the reign and the rule of heaven came with him. And to where sickness, disease, fear, all of that had to go. Right? And that the perfect rule of his kingdom would come. You see, how many of you have ever not known how to pray, but knew you needed to pray for something to happen, there's something to break through? We've all been there, but I'm telling you, the perfect prayer when you don't know how to pray is this, let your kingdom come, God. Let your perfect rule and reign come into this situation. I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know what needs to get fixed. I don't know how to get from A to B. Matter of fact, I don't know how to get from B to C, but God, I know that if your kingdom comes, your rule will invade, and it will answer all this mess. Are you tracking? But what is he really after when it comes to his kingdom? What is he really after? Well, we're going to answer, begin the process of answering some of these questions today. Uh, and, and we're going to start off with part one. And the title of today's message is this. Connecting real people to a real God. Can you say that with me? Connecting real people to a real God. Why was Jesus crucified? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that who would ever believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. He came for us. He came for us. He came for you. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 28. John 1, you can do both. But as you're, as you're turning, let, let me just pray. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. and Genesis is at the front, so it should be easy to find. Father, this day, I ask, Lord, that the good word of your kingdom would be made more sure in our hearts and minds than ever before. Father, I just ask, Lord, that your rule and reign would be established in our minds and hearts. Father, may we gain your perspective on life. May we, Father, have a kingdom mindset today. And so, Father, we invite the rule and reign of your kingdom here into our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just start with a question. Who are real people? Who are real people? Because, you know, church people are, seem to be fake sometimes. <laughs> no. Real people are, are actually uh, real people. Deep thoughts, right? 
No, real people are people from all walks of life. Real people have real problems, are working on real challenges, processing real marriage, processing real singleness, processing real pain, processing uh, real hurt. Real people are rich, they're, they're poor. They're smart, they're not that smart. Fast, slow, they're tall, they're short. And I'm pretty sure every one of us fit into this category. In Genesis 28, we're going to see Jacob. Jacob was a man on the run. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a coward. He was a manipulator. And to top it all off, he was a mama's boy. And where we're going to pick up in Genesis 28 is that Jacob, he had just manipulated his brother Esau to buy his birthright for a cup of pea soup. And he just got through with the help of his mom to trick his dad who was going blind into thinking that he was Esau or and, and into thinking that he was Esau in order to get Esau's blessing. And so so Esau manipulated to get the birthright and manipulated and stole the blessing. So he was a manipulator, he was a liar, he was a thief, he was a mama's boy. So this real person actually came from a very real family. Can anybody say, oh, oh, oh me to that one? I'm going, help us, Lord. See, Jacob's name actually means hill grabber, which means he was a, a, a usurper of authority. He would go around authority. See, they were born as twins, but he was born second. And so Esau was always just one step ahead. Jacob, it says that, that, that whenever he was born, he was just hanging on to the heel of his brother, which typified the way he had lived his entire life up to that point. Always living in his brother's shadow. Always knowing that Esau, his bigger, stronger, hunter, hairy brother, was really dad's favorite. And yes, the Bible does say that Esau was hairy. I don't know why they threw that in there. I thought that's funny, but I mean, hey. But for Jacob, you know, and biblically speaking, people's names, you uncover their identity. And you can uncover their life struggle. And so, he, see, his, uh, his, his name meant heel grabber, it meant thief, it meant deceiver. So his whole identity, who he was, was wrapped up in second place, deceiver, liar, his identity was number two. His identity was never quite good enough. His identity was I'm in lack and, and just come up short. Dad will never be pleased with me. So now this real person who's committed all this sin, who's been characterized as being weak mama's boy, liar, manipulator, on the run from his brother because his big hairy brother is coming after him. He's ran long enough to where he needs to rest. 
the night's waning on, so he lays down and he goes to sleep. And we pick up this story in Genesis 28, starting with verse 12. It says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. Its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So a ladder from the earth up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in, your, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can anybody say, wow? Verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So here you have this real person on the run for the sin that he just committed, for the manipulation he just did, for the theft that he just committed, and he's on the run. And he gets tired and he lays down and takes a sleep, and all of a sudden he has this vision of God where a ladder reached from the earth up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And he and see, it's like this divine intersection between heaven and earth. And the Lord begins to address and he says, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He said, I'm, in other words, I'm the God that has spoken to your fathers. All those words you've heard that were given to your grandfather and your dad, that's me. So he comes to this place of a divine introduction. And then he goes on to say, he begins to declare the promises of God over his life. All this land from the east and to the west, as far as you can see, it's yours. I'm giving it all to you. Your descendants, matter of fact, your descendants shall be like the the sand of the shore. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you, in your seat. Check this out. All of that, all of that promise, All of that goodness was directed towards a liar, a thief, a usurper. All of that wealth of the kingdom was directed towards a manipulator, a mama's boy, a can't hack it, a number two guy. It was directed towards a guy that was always on the outside looking in. You know, so many things happen in this passage. The Lord 
is actually speaking also to the greatest pain of his heart. And the greatest pain of his heart was what? A rejected son. And now what the Lord does is he invites him in to his dad's blessing. So you're no longer a rejected son. You're not always that person on the outside looking in. Now you're one that I'm inviting in. Now you're the one that I'm giving the wealth of all of my kingdom to. The Lord is grafting him in and blessing him the way he had always dreamed about. But just as significant as it is what God did, it's also just as significant about what he didn't do. What God didn't do is say this, what are you doing here? You sinner, you thief, you liar, you manipulator, you dirty, rotten scoundrel, you better repent right now and go back to your brother and give back it all. He didn't say that, did he? Now, just I want to pause right here just for a moment. What I'm about to say, I'm not giving anybody permission to sin. Okay? That is not what I'm saying. This is still the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right? Not giving anybody permission to sin or to steal or anything like that. But I want you to see something about the really powerful about the Lord here. The Lord is speaking to Jacob according to how he sees him from the perspective of heaven. He's speaking to him according to his destiny. See, the Lord doesn't even mention his sin of stealing or cheating his brother. But the Lord sees and calls him to his purpose and his destiny. He sees beyond our sin. And he sees the divine purpose and the divine destiny over our life. You see, what happens to us is that sin that we committed maybe 30 years ago, we think it has enough power to keep us out of his blessing and promise for the rest of our life. You might even have repented from it and, and confessed it over and over and over again, but we think it still has the power to keep us out of God's goodness. How many of you can identify with that? But you see... That kind of thinking is anti-kingdom of God. You see, what does the scripture say? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You see, sin and darkness is weak in comparison to the grace and the goodness of God. See, what happens is is we internally believe that sin and the darkness and the weakness of our life has more power than the King of kings and Lord of lords to keep a lid on our lives outside of the goodness of God. Folks, you need to know who was slain for your sins. That his slain, that his death on the cross was not only enough to get you out of death and darkness, but to deliver you into destiny. See, it says in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. 
That ought to make somebody happy. That's all I've got to say about that. So if you've got sin in your life, repent and repent quickly, and let's get moving on with God. Any real people here today? Got some real stuff going on? Repent, repent quickly, and let's just get to moving on with God. Number two, the church and real people. Bum, bum, bum. The church and real people. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put his head on. And I don't know why you use a stone for a pillow. I just don't get that. But anyways, but he said, But that stone that he had put his head on, he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been, had been Luz previously. So check this out. So Jacob wakes up and he knows, he's convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Lord is in this place. He is absolutely convinced. And he says three things about that, that place that he's at. This is the house of God. And then he says, this is the gate of heaven. And then he renames this place Bethel, meaning this is the house of God. God lives here is what he is saying. This was the place of his divine encounter. Now, theologically speaking, okay, this is called the first mention of the church. This is the first mention of what the church is to be. And so this this passage of Scripture is to really help us shape and define what church is to be from this point forward, okay? So here, here's, the, here's the basic concept. The church of God is to be the place of divine encounter with God. In other words, the body of Christ is to be the place of divine encounter where people meet Jesus, where people meet grace, where people run into the Holy Spirit. Whenever people have experienced the embrace of a father, that is what the church is to be, a divine intersection of heaven and earth. It's to be a gateway. It's to be a portal. Now see, Jacob, he's not seen with reference to sin. He's viewed from the perspective of heaven. With, and, and the only thing that's talked about is a reference to the destiny of God on his life, okay? Are you with me so far? So the, the church is to be this place of divine encounter, and Jacob has this encounter with the Lord that he's only spoken to from the perspective of heaven. Are you with me? Historically, the church has only been good at seeing people from the perspective of sin and sinfulness. Whenever Scripture says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be... Now that whosoever word is a really big word. That means whosoever in whatever condition, in whatever place, with whatever is going on in their life, with whatever sin is going on, with whatever encumbrance, with whatever bondage is going on in their life, it doesn't matter because if that person will call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved and the sin debt be canceled forever in the eyes of the King of Kings. 
See, the church needs to really get good at seeing people through the lens of the Lamb of God. That there is a sacrificial lamb, not just for one, but for all of us. And so that whosoever would call upon his name, that it doesn't matter what sin we have committed because the answer is the Lamb of God. There's two kinds of people out there today, Christian and pre-Christian. And we spend so much time calling people out. I tell you what, I saw what you were doing. We spend so much time calling people out. And you know what? That might actually be the facts. But what if you were so inspired and so filled with the goodness of God that you could see beyond all the junk and just begin to call them out? Call them into destiny. Man, I see a purpose of God over your life. I see what God is doing in your life. And brother, I think you need to step in. Now that becomes impactful. Instead, I got my little scorecard here, and so you committed three. I only committed two, so I'm in a little bit better standing with God. So I ought to pray for the meal instead of you. We keep score. But see, the house of God is to always be that place of divine connection of the kingdom coming on the earth. And see, whenever, see, when the church gets a good handle on this kind of thing, you know what's going to happen? We're going to see liars. We're going to see cheaters. We're going to see adulterers. We're going to see all kinds of tax evasionists. <laughs> Have an encounter with the living God. Yeah. You see, when we begin to see the, with the eyes of heaven, begin to see people with Jesus' eyes, my goodness, what would it be to see people with Jesus' eyes? Maybe some of this judgment and criticism would just fall by the wayside and you might fall in love with people and begin to have the compassion that Christ has for the people in his church. Whoo, come on, that's, that makes me happy. I see people are afraid of going to church because why? Because they're afraid of being judged. But Jesus says in John 3, 17, I did not come to condemn the world, but to give my life as a ransom so that whosoever would believe in me would be saved. That just makes me happy. Number three, the kingdom goes after people. You know why the kingdom goes after people? It's because the king's in charge of the kingdom. And it goes after people. So flip on over to John chapter 1. And we're going to encounter another real person here in this passage. So in John 1, starting with verse The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to them, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So at this point, word is beginning to spread all over the place about Jesus, that he is, in fact, the Messiah. And so Philip has this word from God, and, and Jesus just says, hey, follow me. And he's like, yeah, okay, I will. Let me go tell Nathaniel. So Nathaniel goes, so he, Philip goes to Nathaniel and tells him, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Nathaniel says, does anything good really come out of Nazareth? Somebody lying. Now, as we read this passage, one of the things that we're going to find out about Nathaniel is that he's, he was sitting under a fig tree at this time. There's two things about a fig tree. The first thing is, whenever a Jewish person would sit under a fig tree, that was a time when they were to seek God. And everyone was to recognize that and leave him alone. So if he was sitting under this fig tree, seeking the Lord, and probably like many of the other Jewish brothers and sisters, going, God, when are we going to be done with these Romans? When are you going to come and save our city? When are you going to get us out of this mess? And secondly, the fig tree is symbolic of Israel's entire religious system. Okay? And so there he was, sitting under a tree, seeking the Lord. But then you see these words erupt out of his mouth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, and I think what we see here is a good old church boy who had been wanting God to do something really big, who had been praying for a breakthrough, who had been seeking God. He'd been operating under a religious system, but he's frustrated with the whole religious system and wanting a breakthrough. And so what happens is, is because he's gone so long without this breakthrough, then all of a sudden negativity begins to set in. Sarcasm begins to set in. Sarcasm gives way to bitterness. And this bitterness really has a hold on him. As a matter of fact, folks, if we're not careful, we can get really sarcastic about the church because we've been wanting things to happen. We've been wanting to see a breakthrough. Things aren't happening. We get really sarcastic. That sarcasm will lead to bitterness, and that bitterness will ultimately drive a wedge between you and the church of God. So you got to watch that kind of thing. But this was Nathaniel's predicament. And see, Nathaniel, he was a real guy. He had a real problem. He, he, he knew that in his heart there had to be more to this kingdom stuff than what he was experiencing. He knew, he knew that something was missing and all you really know to do, wow, throw your hands up. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I bet he could have easily said, could anything come out of Galilee? Can anything good come out? You know, whenever you start getting down in the mouth like that, it just goes everywhere, doesn't it? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The good one can come out of Nazareth. 
verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. This Israelite wanted something real. There wasn't any deceit in him. There wasn't any lie in him. All of his desires were genuine. He just wasn't seen as breakthrough. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered it and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of kings. See, what happens in this moment is Jesus just gave Nathanael a prophetic word. He's saying, I saw you under the fig tree seeking the kingdom. I saw you praying for a breakthrough. I saw you under that tree seeking me. I saw you frustrated with the religious system. I saw you frustrated with all of the problems that were going on. And he's saying, and son, I also know that there is no deceit in you. There isn't a lie in you. Your desire is real. It's genuine. Your desire for the kingdom to come is real. And I'm calling you to myself in verse 50. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said I saw you. Now, buckle in for this. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jacob had a dream. Nathaniel came to the reality. Jacob came to a place, Nathaniel came to the person where the angels of God are ascending and descending upon him. You see, Nathaniel was being called to leave tired, broken religion and to encounter the the kingdom of God. He's been invited into something far greater than that old fig tree he's been living under. The kingdom has come to his life. And see, here's the deal. This is what we find out right here. The kingdom now is not about a place. It's about a person. The king of this kingdom. When you become born again, whenever you ask Christ to come and live in your heart, Scripture says you are immediately filled with who? The Holy Spirit. Christ comes to live in your heart. Follow me. As Jesus was a gate, that he stood under an open heaven with angels ascending and descending. People were encountering him, meeting him, seeing all the miracles that he performed. But now that you are the temple, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Now people can have an encounter with Jesus through you. 
just as Jesus was that gate, you can become a gate too. And so the church now is not so much about a building, is it? But it's about the people. See, I see a bunch of gates in here. People who are carriers with the greatest treasure in all of humanity. And whenever you let the love of Christ, whenever you let the the goodness of Christ shine out, can anything good come out of Seymour? You open up that gate inside of you. Introduce people to Christ. People meet Christ. They found everything. Amen? What if we as a church decided to be a people that were all about connecting real people to a real God? That we could, that we could invite people and, and see past judgment, see past criticism, see past labels. You know how people have judgments and criticisms and labels on their life? Because of what they've done. And the father could have told Jacob, get out of here, you liar and you deceiver. Give me your hairy brother. He could have said that. But he sure didn't. He saw the desire in Jacob's heart, ultimately, to be accepted by a father. To be number one in somebody's eyes. What if we just begin to ask God, give me your vision for people around me. Help me to see people the way you see them. To see past the garbage. Because I'm telling you folks, we all got garbage. And if you say you don't have garbage, then you've got garbage because you don't see your garbage. We've all got stuff. We've all had stuff. But one encounter, one word, one word from Christ turns it all around. See, religion makes us want to constantly fix ourselves and fix other people. That's what religion wants us to do. Fix ourselves and fix other people. But whenever we come to the kingdom, our eyes are just fixed on Jesus. And all we get intrigued by is our high calling in Christ. And this pettiness of competition and the pettiness of what we get tied up in. needs to fade away. What if we as a church decided, you know, we wanted to be wide open to a move of God? What if we just said, Lord, we want to fling wide these heavenly gates and want to give you full permission to do, do what only you can do? We want to participate. What if we stepped out from underneath that fruitless fig tree 
and began to embrace the way of the king, which goes past status quo, which doesn't worry about the gossip, doesn't worry about the he said, she said, but only loves radically. See, the radical love of Christ doesn't feel icky when the prostitute comes and washes his feet. See, the love of Christ doesn't worry about what that Pharisee over in the corner is saying when the tax collector invites and they go have lunch. The love of Christ doesn't care about any of that. The love of Christ, the eyes of Christ, they're only concerned with Christ and his great love for people. Amen? So, if you're a real person here today, and you really need to meet Jesus, and you haven't really met him, you've, you've been around it, you've been around religion, but you've never had that moment where you stood nose to nose, face to face, eyes to eyes. You never had that encounter with the Lord to where you go and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is not only real, but I want him to make, I want him to be king over my life. If you've never had that experience, I want you to know that you're standing at a gate. And the doors will fling wide. But the scripture says that whosoever calls upon him, you've got to call. You've got to ask. He's a gentleman in that way. You need to ask if you really need to meet a real Jesus today. He's here. Amen. For all of us church folk, let's step out from under the, that fruitless fig tree today. And just begin to ask, Lord, Lord, give me your eyes. Give me the perspective of heaven to see people the way you do. To see beyond the failures, to see beyond the shortcomings. Help me, Father, to see the destiny and purpose you've put on people's lives around me. Lord, don't let me be a limiter and a lid to your people. Lord, let my words not be filled with judgment, but grace, which is the power to change. Again, if you're here today and you haven't met this real Jesus and you feel like, you know what, I'm on the outside looking in. And if you're not sure that if whether or not you have a real relationship with God, I want you to know you can be sure today. You can be assured today. Amen. Let's just all bow our heads.
Let's just begin to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do, how he wants us to respond. feel like the Lord is saying is that he's inviting us to step out of comfortable religion comfortable religion and, and to step into great love great love for people so Father as, as followers of you fill us Lord with compassion for people Help us to see people as you do. Help us to see beyond just the judgments of, 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 of others, Lord. And, and begin to view people, Lord, from your perspective in which there is a slain lamb for sin and weaknesses. Lord, give us the prophetic eyes, Lord, that sees destiny, that sees people's potential in you. Lord, we just want to lay down judgments. And if that's you today, I just want to, I just want to encourage you, lay down judgments. Not that we're unwise with who we relate to, but sometimes it's our judgments that are like a wall that people can never climb over. that we're unwise with how we relate to people but we just release judgments we let go of judgments and we say Lord let that person let those individuals receive everything you've intended for them but here in this moment in this quiet moment with every head bowed and every eye closed if, if you're here today and you go like you know what I really want to meet this real Jesus. I haven't really ever done that. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to begin a real relationship with the Lord. With every eye closed, every head bowed. I just, if that's you, though, just slip up your hand. If you want to begin a real relationship, you want to get out of the driver's seat of your life. You want to quit going over all those bumpy roads and all those turnarounds. You're going like, man, I... I want to hand my life over to Christ. I just want you to raise your hand if that's you. I just want to, hand, I want to get a real relationship going. Okay, there's a few all over the place. Thank you, Father. And so, Lord, these individuals, God, that have raised their hands, Lord, God, I just I want to speak grace over them. I just want to speak over them. You're not limited by your past. You will not be limited by your past. But the God of all grace will supply all of your needs according to his infinite grace. And I proclaim destiny over you that you're a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, that God has a divine purpose for your life. And I declare that all of the lies and all of the self-lies, all of the self-judgment would fall by the wayside and that you're invited now into the goodness and the grace and the sufficiency of God. 
Lord, may we be wrecked by your infinite love, God, and your, and your ability to work in our life, Lord. May we be wrecked, God, by your grace and your love and your compassion, Father. Thank you, Father. Children of the Most High God. We give you thanks and praise today. Amen and amen. If you need prayer today, if you've got some judgments against others that you need to let go, or you're, whether you're needing to meet Christ, whatever, what, or you may have a need that's not even relevant to what we talked about today, this team is here ready to pray for whatever need you have. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed day.